We're going to spend some time looking at the scriptures together now. So we, this summer, are working on stories of the King. We're going to be looking at stories of Jesus again and again every week. Um, The focus is recognizing that we all know that the world is broken. Um, We all know that it's falling apart. And so we desperately need a Savior. We need a King. We need a champion who can help us. And so we are refocusing and redirecting our attention back to Jesus this summer. Also, because of the weirdness of the quarantine and families being together at a level they haven't before, uh, I want to encourage families to practice storytelling with each other, to practice retelling and re-narrating the stories of Jesus that we're going to be looking at every week. And so as we look at the stories of the King This summer, this week, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 8. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab your Bible and open it up to Luke chapter 8. We're calling the story this week, The King Heals. The King Heals. And so the story that Autumn just read from the Jesus Storybook Bible, that's going to be um, now told in Luke chapter 8. It's this wonderful story where Jesus heals people. And as we look at the idea that the King heals... We want to focus on what I would call the both-and nature of the gospel. Um, Right now, our society is more divided than it's ever been before. And you and myself, we're being pressured to pick a side. We're being driven to say, what's the political side or what's the ideological side that I want to pick? And one of the ways that that division is seen is in the history of Christianity, Is Christianity about the gospel, the good news of Jesus saving sinners, or is it about helping people? Well, when you look at the Bible, it's both and. It's about we help people because Jesus saved us. And so again and again in the New Testament, we see that the primary, most crucial, most desperate problem we have is sin in our own hearts. And that sin problem is taken care of by Jesus Christ dying on the cross. And so that message is what makes us the church. And that message is something we will always prioritize and make central and say everything else flows out of that message. But New Testament Christianity also says you also have to care for your brothers and sisters. You also have to care for your city. You also have to care for your country. You also have to care for people on the other side of the world that you've never met before, right? And that can be overwhelming because Jesus cared for us. We should care for everyone. How do we do that? Well, we pray and we start with the first person we see. We say, God, help me to care for the the people you've placed around me. Help me to be awake. Help me be alert to the needs I see around me. What we see in the life of Jesus is that his principal reason that he came for us was to die on the cross for our sins and to rise from the dead, purchasing eternal life. But that wasn't all there was. He also healed people. He served people. He helped people. And he taught us to do the same. So we're going to see healings today that show us that Jesus actually does care about our physical well-being. We see, as you read the Gospels, healings just kind of flowing out of Jesus left and right. Why? Because he loves people. (laughs) Why does Jesus heal people? Because he cares about them. That doesn't mean he's not still prioritizing his death on the cross, his resurrection, as the most important thing that we all need. And so we're going to see this again and again in a lot of ways throughout the Scriptures. And I just want to encourage you to continue to be both and people. Um, I grabbed some books here I want to show to you. And I think think Julia is going to put these 
online feed as well. These are books I feel like are going to put you in the uncomfortable position of not taking a side and saying Christians should be about all of the above, right? Christians should care about everything. And these are some books that I think are helpful. Timothy Keller, Generous Justice. If you're confused on sometimes, like, what's the difference between God's demands on us to be merciful and God's demands of uh, an exacting justice? And how do mercy and justice relate to each other? This book is helpful in, in helping to show how that works together. It's called Generous Justice by Tim Keller. Another book... Uh, that talks about the history of civil rights and a Christian pastor named John Perkins that was involved in the civil rights movement. It's called Let Justice Roll Down. If you're one of those people, especially if you're white and grew up and didn't see much racism in your lifetime and are kind of confused about everything that's going on right now in our country's history, I think this is a really helpful book. It just helps you to see historically what unfolded in the South, um, helps you to understand kind of how we got to today. Um, And it's, again, written by a gospel-preaching, Bible-teaching pastor, John Perkins. And so this is really good work. He's a black pastor that fled abuses in Mississippi, became a Christian, and said, I think God's calling me back to Mississippi. And he planted churches and helped his community down there. Uh, Another book that I think is, uh, if you want to go deep, I have not read all of this yet, so I'm recommending this only halfway read. I've I've, uh, read a lot of articles and seen interviews by Anthony Bradley, went to the same seminaries me, but it's called Ending Overcriminalization and Mass Incarceration. A lot of people right now are talking about the criminal justice system and what to do. I just want to say, uh, short answer is, it is incredibly complicated. And politicians will make you believe it's incredibly simple. And then they keep messing it up, right? <laughs> it's not that simple. It's complicated. We need to pray, but we also need to research. So this is a helpful book on researching um, how we can make changes and improve things. And then finally, I think this is the most important one. It's the book that I have recommended probably more than any other book at Grace Bible Church. It's called A Praying Life by Paul Miller. So I hope you see these other books are like research, get involved, learn more. This one's like pray. Fall on your knees and pray. Pray desperately that the king who healed people 2,000 years ago would heal us today. Pray that Jesus would move in our hearts and in the hearts of those around us. Be a praying people. Okay, that's it for these books. Oh, one more that I was going to recommend that I think is in the stream, and this talks about the tension we feel of, are we just about the Great Commission and sharing the gospel, or do we actually care to improve people's lives too? It's a controversial article I want to recommend to you. It's called The Great Commission Christianity by Anthony Bradley, um, and he challenges that in the historic um, evangelicalism in America, sometimes We've been so about the Great Commission that we didn't care about anything else. I believe, and we've taught this generally at our church, that the Great Commission, which is Matthew 28, 18 through 20, being committed to make disciples and lead people to walk with Jesus, that actually makes us people that care about all of life. It starts with the gospel, and that helps us to care about all of our neighbor's concerns. Um, But historically, there have been churches that say, we only care about the gospel, we don't care about anything else. And so that's a really, uh, it's a controversial article. I challenge you to read that knowing you may not agree with everything in it, but it might make you think a little bit. And that's what we want to do. We want to be both and people. We don't want to allow ourselves to be pushed into the either or divisiveness of our culture. Christians should be different. And so as we look at this idea that the king heals, we're going to see three ideas as we move through the text. And then I'm going to read the text. The three ideas we're going to see is that healing humbles the strong. We're going to see that healing comes to outcasts, and we're going to see that healing seems absurd, okay? 
It humbles the strong, it comes to outcasts, and it seems absurd. All right, we're going to read in Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 40 through 56. So Luke chapter 8, verse 40. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her daughter, your faith has made you well, go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead, do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and the mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once, and he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. We have this amazing story of Jesus healing. He's the king that's come for us, and he's not just a king uh, that destroys all the enemies. He will do that through his death and resurrection later, but he's a king who heals. He's a king who has compassion. One of the most common terms in the New Testament for Jesus is the word compassion, and it's a beautiful Greek word that literally means the moving of guts. And so my prayer for us is that we would be like Jesus, that because Jesus, his guts were moved, his guts were wrenched in compassion towards us, he came and lived for us and died for us and rose again, that we would have that kind of compassion for other people. And again, with all the division and all the craziness in our culture right now, um, it's easy to put up a wall and to say, I've got nothing left, right? I don't know about you, but I feel emotionally exhausted just by all the hurt and pain that's going on right now. And we can be renewed as we look back at Jesus and see Jesus loved people. Jesus was moved with compassion. And we can be refilled by his spirit as we look again and again as these Stories of the king remind us of what kind of king we have. We have a king who heals. We have a king of compassion. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll move through the outline. God, we thank you that you are a God who had compassion on us. We thank you that you are a God who had sympathy and empathy with our pain, with our wandering. Romans says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God, you saw us in our brokenness, in our emptiness, We deserved your wrath, but you poured out your wrath on your son. Jesus absorbed 
the power of sin and death and defeated it through his resurrection. God, help us to be a people of faith. Help us to be a people who fight for the healing of those we love because you fought for our healing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we move through the text, there's kind of three acts that we see, right? Uh, this guy comes up and begs Jesus for healing. And so there we're going to look at this conceptually um, that we see the strong are humbled in their need for healing. The strong are humbled. We all need healing, and that really humbles the strong, those who have previously thought they didn't need anything, right? And then the second act, we have this woman who sneaks up and reaches out for him in the crowd, right? And in that section, I want to emphasize the idea that healing comes to outcasts. This is a huge theme in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. The healing is for outsiders, for the disenfranchised. I was listening to a sermon by uh, Tim Keller the other day, and he was saying, you know how you introduce yourself by like what your job is? And you say like, you know, I'm, a Dave, I'm Dave, I'm a pastor at this church, or you know, my name's Bob, I'm a teacher at the school down the road. We often talk about our jobs. Maybe we might talk about our family. Maybe we talk about the city we live in. God, again and again, introduces himself in the Bible as the father of the fatherless, as one who cares for the widow and the outcast. Like, like that's who he is. That's, that's what he does. And so we see that in the second act. And then the, finally, the third act, when Jesus goes back to the synagogue ruler's house and heals his little daughter, we see people laughing at him, like, this is ridiculous, she's dead. And so there we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the idea that healing seems absurd. So first point is healing humbles the strong. We're looking at just verses 40 through 42. Jesus is approached by a religious leader here. Um, This is an important leader who falls at the feet of an uneducated Jewish peasant, Jesus. This is like a well-dressed bank president in his expensive suit falling at the feet of a scruffy construction worker or a mason. That's basically what uh, the scripture tells us about uh, Jesus and his father Joseph. He was, a, he was a mason. Sometimes we translate that as carpenter, but he was a builder. And so we've got this important person. A synagogue ruler would have been like a chairman of the board, right? So the synagogue was like the Jewish church. It just means gathering place. That's what synagogue means. And so that's where they would gather and sing psalms and learn the Bible, right? That's kind of what we do in church. So they would gather together and do that, and they would have the rabbis that would teach, but they would have the synagogue ruler. He was the president of the board. So he'd be like the important uh, bank president that also helped pay for the synagogue building and helped set it up and helped lead it, right? I grabbed a picture of a couple important businessmen shaking hands. I think of someone in a really beautiful pressed suit, right? I'm sorry, I'm not giving you more of an example of that here this morning, but like, think of someone really dressed up, right? Someone of wealth, someone of privilege, who at the same time is, is falling on his knees. He's, he's begging. Like he's literally down on the ground crying to Jesus. And the question is, have, have you come to that place in your life? Have I come to that place in my life where I see my desperate need for Jesus? Our need for healing, the recognition of our brokenness can humble the strong. Those of us who in society a year ago maybe thought we had it all together, now the world's falling apart and we're like, hey, maybe I need God's help. Maybe I need Jesus. Maybe I need the King who heals. And again, this should drive us to prayer. I I want our overall kind of, as we move through this text, our overall concept to be 
you know, Jesus cares and has compassion and heals us. We want to be the kind of people that are healing and caring to others. But also the subtext I want you to be thinking about is does that drive me to prayer? Does that drive me to fall at the knees of Jesus? Because as you try to heal people, as you try to help people, you, you run out of juice real fast, right? I don't know about you, but when I have those days when I've helped, you know, more than one person, I'm worn out, right? <laughs> when you help multiple people or when you're trying to deal with a complicated problem, like all the problems we're facing in our world and country right now, it can be exhausting. And we need to fall on our faces before Jesus. We need to cry out to him. I was just uh, texting recently with a friend who I was telling him, man, I'm really thankful for the example you were uh, of just being involved in local government, fighting corruption, caring for people. He's a Christian and, and told me like, uh, yeah, the problem is I, I still don't really like people. You know? <laughs> he's like, I just, I just realized the problem is still in my own heart, even though like he's He's a warrior who has fought for like the healing of his community in, a, in another town. He's done hard things. He's tried to help uh, hurting people. And he's like, yeah, but I still recognize. I just, I just kind of don't like people, you know? Really, the problem is still in my heart. Really, I still need to see how much Jesus loved me when I didn't deserve it and have that re-break my heart so that I would love hurting people. And I've seen that in, in our town as well. Uh, we have people in our church, in our community, other friends throughout the city who are deeply involved in the city, deeply involved in education, involved at Fort Hood, involved in policing, involved in community problems, and they can get worn out and burn out real quick. And we all have to keep throwing ourselves at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus, I can't do this. I need your help. The problem is bigger than me. Those of us that have answers typically are humbled by the situation. As I've been looking at uh, racial issues and racial tensions in our country. I've just been doing a lot of studying, a lot of research, like, you know, what can we change? What do we need to change? And looking into uh, problems with the criminal justice system and mass incarceration, and I've just been overwhelmed. It has driven me to prayer. I'm like, man, this is, this is messed up, but there are no simple solutions. There are no easy solutions. We need to pray and learn and study and care for others. Here are a couple other New Testament quotes about the strong being humbled. James 4.10 says, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. James 4.6, just a few verses before that, says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So if, if you need grace, I know I do, humble yourself before God. Humble yourself before other people. People that disagree with you, even if you think you've got it all figured out and you know all the answers and you're convinced and you've done the research, humble yourself and listen. Say, how do you see it? I know I've always got more to learn. Another book, and I know I don't need to recommend any more books, but a book we've read a lot as we've tried to serve hurting people in Guatemala is the book called When Helping Hurts. It's by Brian Fickert. It's another great book. And it talks about the whole thing of when you're helping hurting people, you have to approach it as a sinner saved by Jesus who always has something to learn, right? Even when you have resources and you're going to help someone else, you still have to recognize, I have something to learn because that person is made in the image of God. And I am humble before them and before God. And so that should always be a part of our character, that we would be humble. First Peter echoes this language in First Peter 5. 
Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He echoes the same thing. So 1 Peter 5, 6 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you. The coronavirus and basically the destruction of how I do my week-to-week job has humbled me and driven me to prayer. And now the just horrible division in our country, the race tensions, all, all the hurt, all the pain, all the ongoing division has humbled me and has driven me to prayer. One of our guest speakers uh, is a communications director at Reformed Theological Seminary. His name's Philip Holmes. He comes here kind of like every year, usually will come and preach for us. And he was on a podcast the other day with his wife, Jasmine, um, and he had some really helpful words to say about this. They were just... They were talking about the both-and tension, right? Uh, Christians shouldn't be wedged into, we always, you know, think this is always the right way, but we should try to hold to the middle of like, well, maybe I agree with this group on this thing, but I agree with this group on that thing, and kind of fight for being honest about every issue, right? And so that was kind of the whole discussion on the podcast, but at the end of it, they were like, but this is not all about politics, and this is how Philip ended the podcast. He says, This is a struggle probably for most Christians. If we've ever needed it, I think we need it now more than ever. This is the importance of prayer. I say this to people on both sides of the aisle, regardless of where it is you stand right now on any issue. To those who are wrestling with these things or feel like these things in the culture right now are not that big of a deal, I challenge them to pray and ask the Lord to search their heart and give them eyes to see if they are missing something. To at least... If you're not willing to exercise humility in public, maybe start in private prayer and say, Lord, I think I'm right, but if I'm wrong, please show me. Wouldn't that be a great prayer for us to pray? Like, we can be honest. God already knows that we think we're right, so it's good to admit it to him. Lord, I think I've got this all figured out, but could you show me? I think I know the answer on this issue, Lord, but will you show me if I'm wrong? He goes on, he says, I think on the other side of the aisle, for Christians who see injustices clearly, don't forget about the importance of prayer. Pray and protest. Don't ever let the world shame us into thinking that somehow prayer is less powerful. God can do so much more with our private prayers than with our public protests. That's not negating the importance of protesting and speaking truth to power and doing that as peacefully as we can. But God wants to work through our private prayer. Are we a praying people? When we entered into the coronavirus, we had just entered into a prayer focus in our sermon series. We, we were all about prayer and fasting. And man, I think, I think we need to go back to that as, as we look at the stories of Jesus this summer. We need to humble ourselves just like Jairus threw himself at the feet of Jesus. This important man named Jairus, he was the ruler of the synagogue. He fell at Jesus' feet. He implored him to come to his house. He had an only daughter who was 12, and she was dying. And as Jesus began to go, responding to him, giving grace, as Jesus went, it says people pressed in around him. Okay, so this moves us to the next act in the story. People are pressing in on Jesus. Is he going to make it in time? His only daughter is dying. What is going to happen next? In the next section, we see the healing is for outcasts. Look at verse 43. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. Isn't that weird? The whole time this other guy's daughter had been born. Isn't that this is huh, interesting? So this 12-year-old girl is about to die. This woman had been 
struggling with this discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all of her living on physician, she'd spent all she had, it says, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him, talking about Jesus, and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. She'd been bleeding for 12 years. If you don't understand what this means in a Jewish context, in a believing Jewish context, uh, you can look up the cross-reference of Leviticus 15, but this would have meant she was considered unclean, ceremonially, ceremonially unclean for 12 years. Not able. You think it's been hard not gathering at church for two, three months? Well, she was stuck with that for 12 years. She was basically treated as a leper. You can go back and read Leviticus 15 to see the the clean clean laws about this. So she was an outsider. She was treated like a leper. She was seen as an outcast. But the prophet Isaiah says this about outcasts. Listen to this. This is what the prophet Isaiah says about outcasts. Isaiah 56, 7 through 8. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. All people. Even the people who have always been considered outcasts. All people. All nations. All races. The Bible repeatedly says this, that God is for all people. And then he gets even more specific, Isaiah 56, 8. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. He says, I will gather outcasts. God says, that's, that's what I do. I gather outcasts. And so how's this lived out in Jesus' life? She reaches out and tries to touch the fringe of his garment. You know, they have these prayer shawls. I don't know if you've seen them. I think I grabbed a picture. We have a picture of someone reaching out and just grabbing the, the tail end of his robe there. They'd have these prayer shawls, and they would have tassels on them, and they would be like reminders to prayer that they would use, and they would hold, and they would count, and they would tie different knots in them and things like that. Um, well, she reached out just to kind of barely touch the edge of his garment. Verse 45 well, 44, immediately the blood discharge ceased. Verse 45, and Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. P- Peter's like, there's no way to know. Have you ever been in a crowd that big? Um, I've been in New York City several times. Chances are that's maybe part of why the virus was so out of control there. You're just, you're rubbing up against other human beings all the time. You're just crowded all the time. And this is kind of the situation that they were in, right? Imagine a really crowded marketplace, walking through the streets, people coming and going, bumping into each other. Peter says, there's, there's no way to know. Everybody's pressing in. Everybody's touching. Verse 46, but Jesus said, someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And now y'all probably want a deep theological explanation of verse 46, don't you? You have to wait for another Sunday for that one. I have no idea what that means, but somehow power just went out from Jesus. In her faith, God, the Spirit, God, the Father healed through Jesus, Jesus not even being conscious of it, right? Somehow that works. We trust that God's got that figured out, even if we don't understand it. Jesus is like, I know some power went out of me. I know somebody got some healing power. I'm not sure who it was, right, in his human form. Again, mind-blowing. We don't understand how all that works. Verse 47, when the woman saw that she was not hidden, like she figured out that she was being figured out, it says, she came trembling and falling down before him and declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. So she came out of the shadows and she declared her uncleanness 
she declared that she was unclean, but she reached out anyway and touched him, and then God, God healed her through that. And Jesus said in verse 48, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. If you've ever felt like an outsider, I think God is calling you to reach out for him. Saying, reach out for me. If you've ever felt like an outcast, God is the God who gathers the outcasts. Jesus is the king who heals the outcasts. Healing comes for outcasts. Have you ever felt like you're on the outside? Have you ever felt afraid? Have you ever felt confused? I, I would guess that, that most of us right now, because of all the chaos in our country, are, are feeling a little worried, are feeling a little insecure. No matter in, in what way you feel threatened or insecure or like an outsider or like an outcast, if you reach out to Jesus, He will heal you. Jesus will heal you. You can count on Him. Now again, we, we have to clarify, we don't always get immediate physical healing in this lifetime. When we look at all of the Scriptures together, we see people that reached out to Jesus got healed, uh, but then the way we understand this is that later on, those people got sick and died, right? And so it's just a display of Jesus' love, His care. Just like for us, we are to care for our neighbors, even if we can't like fix the whole system, right? Even if systemic brokenness is beyond our capacity to fix, we have to do whatever we can do. So we live in this world, planting trees, caring for our families, loving our neighbors, helping people out in need, knowing that, you know, everything's still going to fall apart. And our future hope is in Jesus making all things right when he returns. But as we live in the here and now, we live by faith. Jesus loved me, so he's told me to live this life loving others. Are you willing to do that? Recognizing that Jesus heals the outcasts, recognizing that that's, we were outcasts because of our sin. We were outsiders, but he brought us in. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He brought us into the family. So now we're to do that for others. We're to do that for others. And that then leads us to this last point. This last point, healing seems absurd. Healing seems absurd. We talked a lot around Easter about this book by Charles Taylor, A Secular Age, uh, and there was a great book that James Smith did called How to Not Be Secular. But he talks about just sociologically, we arrived at a place where science has all the answers. It's really ironic after the coronavirus. But here it is. Science has all the answers, and the supernatural seems absurd. That's kind of where we were. I think there's a big crack in that worldview now, but that's kind of been where we've been for the last few hundred years after the Enlightenment scientific age, right? Science has all the answers. Science is our savior. And thinking about supernatural things is just kind of silly, absurd, and ridiculous. Well, we see this in this story fleshed out as well. So chapter 8, verse 49 while he was still speaking, right, he said, your faith has made you well, go in peace. While he was still speaking to her, right, he got distracted going to this other place. Remember, back to the story, he's going to heal Jairus' daughter. And then the crowd is crowded and someone touches him and then someone else gets healed. And he's like, your faith is healed, you daughter. Everything's cool. Verse 49, while he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. 
But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe. She will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. For her. But he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. Do not weep, for she's not dead, but sleeping. Verse 53, and they laughed. They laughed. They thought it was absurd. Why did they laugh? It says in verse 53, they laughed at him knowing that she was dead. Think about this. A lot of times, uh, doubters of the Christian faith are tempted to think, well, ancient people were dumb because they didn't have iPhones, right? And they didn't understand that people die and then can't come back to life, right? They weren't as smart as us in our scientific age. This is a great explanation of like, no, they, they knew that. They knew when people died, people stayed dead. That's how things have always worked in this universe, right? That is what is normal. That's why the resurrection of Jesus is so amazing. And that's why his raising other people from death is so amazing when we see this in his life. Because that's not how things normally work. It is absurd. So here's the tension. What are we to do with the things that God calls us to that are, naturally speaking, absurd? Well, we're, we're to fight for hope. We're to fight for joy. We're to call out to Jesus, say, Jesus, help me to have hope and faith in you, the God who makes absurd things come true for your glory, and help me be a people, a person that keeps fighting for justice, keeps fighting for mercy, keeps fighting for hope, keeps fighting for unity, keeps trying to love my neighbor even as it gets harder and harder, right? As our society gets more and more fractured, how are we going to actually listen well to each other? How are we going to actually be patient with each other as things descend into chaos? Well, only by the power of the Holy Spirit. Only if we are supernatural people. More and more we're recognizing how absurd it is that we would actually love people well. It's getting harder and harder. But because Jesus loved us first, we can love others. Healing seems absurd. So it says they laughed. They laughed. Why did they laugh? Knowing that she was dead. Now let's look at verse 54. But taking her by the hand, he called saying, child, arise. It is get up. It's like time to wake up, honey. That's what he said. Time to wake up, baby. Only Jesus can wake someone from the dead. Taking her by the hand, he called, child, arise. And her spirit returned as she got up at once, and he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. This is a mysterious thing. I was talking to friends about this the other day. Jesus says this often when he heals someone, right? Don't tell anybody about this. It's not quite time yet for him. Is usually the explanation we get. We, it's a complicated answer. We don't really understand it, but it seems like basically he's, he's trying to manage his timeline, right? He's not quite ready to be crucified yet. He's got more work to be done before he comes to that time. Repeatedly in the Gospel of John, we saw that a couple of years ago, he talks about his crucifixion, his resurrection as the hour, as the time. And so he's, he's managing his timeline. He's like, not yet. It's not time for this to spread that widely. My question for you is, what is the thing that God is calling you to? What is the hope of healing? It may not be physical healing of, of cancer. It may be healing of problems in our society. It may be healing of a relationship between you and someone else. It might be the healing of some other sin issue in your life. What, what's the thing in your life that needs healing, that needs resurrection, 
But you just think, man, that's absurd. It's just, it's crazy. It's laughable. Because we all know forgiveness can't happen in that situation. Or healing can't happen in that situation. Or reconciliation can't happen in that. There's, it's too far gone. Or, oh, that person is in this political party and I'm in that political party. We can't have a conversation. That's not allowed, right? What if, what if we actually hoped in the power of Jesus and no longer laughed at this stuff? I was thinking about like when we laugh at things because we think they're ridiculous and impossible. It reminded me of the movie The Lion King. Anybody seen The Lion King? Some of y'all seen that before? Famous movie about a lion who was also a king. Um, and when he's a little, a little baby lion cub, there's this one funny scene. I think I grabbed a picture of this where he says, like, I, I laugh in the face of danger, right? And he's laughing. He's acting tough. Like, I'm not scared of anything. I laugh at danger. And then, dramatic scene, he hears other laughter. He hears the hyenas laughing, and he realizes, oh, no, he is in over his head. And so it, just an illustration of how we can think, I'm a tough, you know, smart, brave person. I can do whatever Jesus calls me to do. Without the Spirit of Jesus, you cannot. Without the Spirit of Jesus, I can do nothing. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. We have to abide in Jesus. We will bear no fruit without Jesus. And so, as Christians, again, we have to recognize how ridiculous it seems to hope in him, and we have to keep hoping, hoping in him simultaneously at the same time. Our, our country's saying, you can't, you can't believe this and believe that. You can't love this and love that. You can't be on this team and on that team. You've got to pick a side. You've got to pick a side. You have to be divided. You can't be united. I think we're called to be united. I think we're called to that middle ground. Last week, I used this as an application again. This is such an important application in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 12, the beginning of the turn, right? In a lot of Paul's letters, he'll have this like, Jesus died for you, Jesus died for you, Jesus died for you, right? His death and resurrection, his death and resurrection, his death and resurrection. And because of that, you're going to live differently. And that turn happens sharply in Romans 12. Because of his mercy, Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. What's that mean? That means we keep giving ourselves up. We keep giving ourselves over to serving and loving our community, even when it's more chaotic than we've ever seen it. We keep moving forward. And Paul keeps going in Romans 12. This is what I read last week. He says, celebrate with those who are celebrating. Cry with those who cry. Live in harmony with each other. This is a command. This is a command. That doesn't mean you can't disagree, right? But you gotta, you got to smile. you got to shake hands. Well, maybe not shake hands, coronavirus. you got to smile. you got to love each other. you got to pray for each other. you got to listen. You have to respect your opponent's views. You have to pay attention to what they mean. If they say a buzzword, that doesn't automatically mean that they belong to the tribe of that buzzword. Even if they do, you still have to live in harmony with them and love them. This is a command. This is a command. Sure, you can disagree with each other. Sure, you can vote differently from each other. But we have to listen, love, and work towards harmony and understanding. Live in harmony with each other. Do not be proud, but struggle alongside the weak. Do not be proud, but struggle alongside the weak. Never consider yourselves as wise. This is Romans 12, 15 
through 16. Right before that, he says we are to, to love our enemies. We're not just Christian friends. This extends all the way to enemies. This is what we're commanded to do, Christians. We're commanded to be a different Holy Spirit sort of people. And I just want to commend the ways that I've seen this work out in your lives, right? So I've been yelling at you for a little while, those of you in the room, those of you watching online, as if you're not doing this, right? I want to commend the ways I've seen you do this. Being a part of the community at Fort Hood, seeing soldiers who see so many obstacles in the way of genuinely ending oppression and freeing people and loving people and yet praying and working at it day after day. Thank you. God bless you for being filled by the Spirit and depending on Him to do an impossible job. Medical workers who know that the people you heal are going to get sick again and die, but you go back day after day and you heal people and you serve people and you love people, even though half the time they're crazy, right? But you keep going because you're filled with the Spirit of Jesus. Teachers who are, who are trying to impact the next, next generation, who are giving yourselves to our community. Even when you don't feel like you're getting the full cooperation you need from the people over you or the parents of the children, because of the Spirit of Jesus, you keep going. I want to commend that. Our AV director, Kendrick, has been a part of a group of Christians in Clean Texas who have been meeting with others in the city, meeting with police to have town halls. They've been picking up trash. They've been getting to know the city. They've been serving the city because they know there's something broken and they've just been trying to throw themselves into the mix because of the Spirit of Jesus saying, go where the hurt is and love people and help people. So many other ways that I've seen this over the years. We support a ministry called Foster Love Bell County. Man, there's a problem with foster uh, and adoption in Bell County. Let's try to meet that problem because the Spirit of Jesus fills us with compassion. We want to serve others. Uh, one of the kids that's now a grown-up that, that grew up in our church is now a full-time missionary in Guatemala, serving a hurting community down there. And we take trips uh, multiple times throughout the years to love our brothers and sisters in Christ in Guatemala. So many ways that this is fleshed out. We do this because Jesus did it for us first. Jesus saw our hurting and he came to us to heal our sin problem and every other problem that's connected to that sin problem. Every other problem, racial injustice and political problems and division and uh, all these other things are caused by our sin problem. And so I just want to, again, commend you to, to not give in to being uh, either or people, to, but to be both and people. To recognize that you can simultaneously protest injustice, but also think that violence is, is not the answer. You can simultaneously care for those who are hurting and, and maybe question, you know, I don't know if, if communism and that kind of redistribution is actually going to help the poor, but I do care for the poor and let's, let's work for better ways to restructure our society, maybe in ways that help the poor more, but do we want to just redistribute everything? I don't know if that's actually the answer, right? Like you can, you can care about an issue and, and that doesn't flip you over into the, the other side, right? Whatever that side is, right? Like a big controversial one is like, you can actually believe that black lives matter to God. He cares about black people because they're made in the image of God. You can actually believe that and still have like big problems with the, the national organization and the things they believe, right? Like, well, I don't support that, but yeah, I know, I know that these people matter to God. 
I know they're made in God's image. What are the issues for you? You've you've probably got your hot button issue of like, well, I'll go this far, but I can't go that far because those are the bad guys and these are the good guys. And as long as you say this word, then you're on that team and then you're on that. No, what does it mean to actually listen and be thoughtful and to love each other in the process? How are we going to do that? And again, I want to bring us back to prayer. Prayer is the primary way we're going to move forward. We don't just pray and then never talk to each other, right? We pray and say, God, give me the strength. And then we have those conversations. And we try to get to know our neighbor. And we try to love our city. And we try to work for harmony, as Paul describes in Romans chapter 12. Because Jesus is a king who heals, we will be a people who heal. That is what we will be about. Because he loved us first. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your grace that you poured out in Jesus. And we declare as a people that no political idea, no bumper sticker, no slogan can solve this. Only you, King Jesus, can solve our problems. And so God, help us to be a people who throw ourselves at your feet, begging you to heal us. God, help us to be a people of prayer who listen to our opponents and who listen to our friends, who seek the peace and the prosperity of the place we're currently now in exile, that is planet Earth, as we wait for our true home with you, the new heavens, the new earth, where there will be no more tears, no more crying, no more pain. We thank you that you love us. We hope in you.